Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Arse Blog Arsecast, right here on Arsblog.com. We're going to get straight into it. Arsenal women have just announced a major, major signing. Alessia Russo, England international, has joined on a free transfer after her contract with Manchester United expired. So we thought we'd delve into the deal, talk a bit about the player and also talk a bit more about what's going on with Arsenal women this summer. And with me to do that is the man who knows. It's Tim Stillman. Hello, Tim. Hello there. So tell me a little bit about this particular deal. This is a player that Arsenal have been interested in for for some time, and there were some efforts maybe to bring her in before this summer. Um, Give us the background on that. Yeah, sure. So actually, Arsenal tried to sign her three years ago under a different manager. So Russo is very, very good friends with Lotta Wubben-Moy, current Arsenal player, and they both went to the US together to go to college. Um, And then they both cut their time out there short because of the pandemic and the leagues they were playing in stopped. So Lotta came back. She came back to Arsenal. And at that point in the summer of 2020, Arsenal were very interested in bringing Russo as well. At the time, I think it's fair to say because of the pandemic, Arsenal were counting their pennies a little bit and decided not to do it. And at the time, United had Casey Stoney as manager, who... um, very convincing, convinced several United players to go there, several big players to go to United. Mm. And maybe we'll talk about um, that if we talk about United a little bit later. But So they wanted a three years ago. Mm -hmm. Since then, basically Arsenal have needed a striker for a little while. Since they took the decision about 18 months ago to move Vivian Miedema back into a, a slightly deeper number 10 position. And they bought... Swedish striker Stina Blackstenius last January, but really she's the only outright striker that Arsenal have had ever since. So they really needed a striker. Now, obviously that was exacerbated last season when they lost Beth Mead and Vivian Miedema in very quick succession in November and December. But Arsenal's view of that at the time was, okay, at least we've got the January transfer window coming up. And Arsenal tried to sign several Big name forwards in that January transfer window. They tried for Debinha, um, a, a Brazilian attacker. That didn't happen. They tried for Chloe Lacasse. That didn't happen until last week when mm-hmm. it did eventually happen. And um, they they tried for a, a Norwegian striker called Signe Brun. But at the end of the January transfer window, they put down a world record bid. Uh, what would have been a world transfer record for Russo now. They did that largely out of panic because the whole of January had gone and they hadn't got a striker. And the reason they didn't try for Russo initially in the window is because they didn't think they'd get her correctly, as it turned out. And so when it came to the last 48 hours of the window, they got desperate. And they they were always interested in the idea of bringing Russo in this summer when her Manchester United contract was expiring. But they didn't really think they could get her in January. But once the clock started ticking, Mm. a bit of panic took over and they just thought, let's test United. Let's put big money down. And I think one of the, the, the kind of seeds for this deal is that United did not reject that bid immediately. So um, Mm. they, they, I wasn't as close to it at that point in January, but they didn't say no straight away. And I'm speculating here, but I imagine that maybe put a little bit of doubt in the player's mind. They did reject it 
after that, mm-hmm. but they kind of had a bit of a board meeting. And I mean, really, you should say in hindsight, Russo didn't finish the season that strongly. And in hindsight, United should have taken the money <laughs> when it was on the table, but they didn't. And so Arsenal were always going to come back in very strongly. That was always their plan, regardless Mm. of what happened in January. And I think actually, as much as that was kind of bad process that they arrived at the panic bid, it did show that they were serious about the player. And it did kind of, you know, I think set the pattern of we rate this player and we take this very, very seriously. And obviously, you know, she's negotiating a wage packet on a free transfer now. So that kind of put her in a position of power as well. And Arsenal made it very clear from the beginning. They kind of showed their hand, yeah. um, which which I think has kind of worked for them because there was competition for this deal. But yeah, there, there's a little bit more behind it that we can go into. But that's that's essentially the plotted history. This right. starts in 2020 and it finishes now. Okay, so, you know, Arsenal finished third last season. Manchester United finished second. She's the, the main striker there. Why... Has she allowed the contract to expire? You sort of went into it there a little bit with perhaps when the club decides or, you know, gives consideration to selling you, you do maybe consider your own position. But, I mean, is there a sense that, you know, Arsenal are much like the the what's going on with the men's team, that Arsenal are kind of like the place to be at this moment in time. This is a growing team. This is a a good young coach. There are some top-class players here. And, and obviously, Arsenal have wanted to sort of add depth and quality to the squad. So are all those ingredients part of why she has made this decision? Yeah, so there's several things at play here that are quite interesting. So first of all, as you say, Arsenal finished below United in the WSL, but... And look, I'm I'm kind of demonstrating my bias here. I think most people think, whether they're Arsenal fans or not, United fans will reject this, but that that's kind of... You can't say it's false, but essentially United last season basically didn't have a single injury and Arsenal had I'd quite a lot. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are looking at this Arsenal team and thinking that is not a third-place team. It's mm. just that they lost so many players to injury that it made things difficult and they still won a trophy. Don't underestimate the optics of playing a Champions League semi-final in front of a sold-out Emirates Stadium. Yeah. Um, If you bought a ticket and went to that Wolfsburg game, pat yourself on the back because I think you're a small part of this deal. (laughs) Um, You know, the optics of things like that, of, of a club, first of all, competing in a Champions League semi-final and pushing it all the way with all those injuries. But you know, regularly having big attendances at the Emirates. That's that's very attractive um, in, a, in a kind of intangible way. But also, yeah, I, I think most people would probably objectively say Arsenal are a better team than Manchester United at the moment. And the other thing, not to underestimate, I know I've made this comparison on this podcast before, and it's an even more interesting one to make given the nature of this deal. But I've always said that Arsenal women are a bit like Manchester United men in that they have that that cachet of history sure. of regularly winning big trophies. They compete for big trophies every year and have done for 30 years. Don't underestimate that as well. Like mm. that pull is strong. United women have only existed for five years. And that also means that elements of their behind the scenes setup, I think, naturally, are just a bit more, not as developed as Arsenal's. 
And I think behind the scenes, Arsenal deserve a hell of a lot of credit, not just for putting money down, but things like getting the Emirates sold out or regularly getting 40,000, 50,000 people in there. That doesn't just happen. That happens because the club have worked very hard to make it happen. So Mm. I think Arsenal have demonstrated a real seriousness about this, which to be fair, they kind of always have. And that's the other comparison I'd make with Manchester United. There has never been a stage, even with Chelsea's massive spending, that Arsenal have been massively behind that. They've been a bit behind Chelsea in terms of spending, but not that much. It's mm. Again, it's a bit like Manchester United and like Man City. Like Man City spend more, but United don't not spend. So there's there's a lot going on like that. And then I think there are things behind the scenes that Arsenal are very tapped into when negotiating with players like this, like image rights. Alessia Russo is England's number nine. Mm. And she's got sponsorship deals with Beats and Oakley Sunglasses and Adidas. And Adidas are much more tied into Arsenal women than they are Manchester United women. And so all of this kind of commercial opportunity is there. And I think when it came to negotiating the salary, first of all, I think Arsenal really set the agenda on this deal. And what Manchester United are kind of briefing is that they matched Arsenal's offers which I, don't, I still don't think sounds great on them, that they're just allowing Arsenal to set these offers and then just saying, yeah, we'll do the same. So mm. I think they allowed Arsenal to set the agenda here, but I also think Arsenal are a bit more clued in on things like image rights and the commercial opportunities for this player. But, uh, you know, on a footballing aspect as well, Russo, she's looking for another big club. Arsenal have definitely have a, a gap there they need a centre forward there's no point in her going to Chelsea because Sam Kerr's there Man City have got Bunny Shaw like none of those other clubs really need strikers Arsenal need one so yeah you know that is it's a it's a great footballing opportunity for her as well beyond the the fact that Arsenal need a striker and obviously obviously trying to bring in uh you know various players what is it about Alessia Russo that Jonas Eideval will look at and say she is the the striker for this team. How does the way Arsenal play complement her skill sets or vice versa? What can she bring to the team? Are there things that um, might be developed tactically with her in the team? Uh, you know, to get to give you know obviously the the WSL and the Champions League. You know, assuming the the qualifiers go well, but you know, what are the what are the things that she can bring, and and what Arsenal can do for her as well? Yeah, so she's a lot of people are kind of asking this question, like, is she really worth all of that? Like, she scored ten WSL goals last season, which is good, but like some way behind the top scorers. Mm-hmm. Rachel Daly got twenty two, Bunny Shaw got twenty one. I'd very much look at Russo if you're looking for a, a comparison as a bit like. Uh, Gabriel Jesus coming into the men's team. Russo is the absolute ideal striker for what Jonas Eideval wants. And um, I've got a piece coming out on this. Um, It will probably go out at a similar time as this podcast that I wrote a little while ago now, Um, (laughs) but just detailing why she fits in so much. And and it got to like 2,000 words because it's the other stuff that she brings. First of all, I think she would score more mm-hmm. for Arsenal um, than for United, although United very good creatively. She's So this kind of goes back again to last January where when Idaval first took over, Vivian Miedemann was the striker. And interestingly, despite being so good, Viv is just not the type of striker that Idaval wants because Viv 
I mean, she, she's a number 10. She thinks like a number 10. She likes to come towards play to get involved, to link up. That's not what, what Idaval wants. Mm. He plays a much more like aggressive counter-pressing system. He wants his striker to do striker things. He wants his striker running the channels. He wants his striker in the box, attacking crosses, holding the ball up. And all of that is Russo to a T. She scores tons of headers um, from crosses. That's exactly what he wants. She's brilliant at holding the ball up. That's exactly what he wants. And she's got... Um, She's got some of these, she's got these nice, like she takes, she has a real like economy of touches as well in the final third. She's really good at spinning a player and controlling the ball in one touch. Like everything she does is one and two touch, which again, Idaval wants that really quick interplay. Um, and so I, he, she really, really fits. But the other thing as well that she's quite underrated for, she presses like a maniac and not, not many people see that side of her game. Again, that's exactly what Jonas Eideval wants. So I, I think, you know, I think Arsenal will really suit her and Arsenal have got some players like Katie McCabe, Steph Catley, Beth Mead, who can get a cross in, mm-hmm. um, who can whip a corner in. Um, and if nothing else, Russo scored in her last four appearances against Arsenal. So, <laughs> so this signing, and uh, I believe three of those were headers. So, if, if nothing else, this signing kind of stops that. Yeah, <laughs> stops that at source. But yeah, she she really fits what Jonas wants, and I I do think that there is some development to go, and I do think she'll get that here. And uh, I'm I'm quite hopeful that Arsenal are able to keep Kelly Smith on as a coach they brought her in at the end of last season she Mm. did some really good work with the forwards and she's Alessia Russo's idol Um, and I know that Russo would really value the opportunity to be coached as a striker by Kelly Smith so I really hope Arsenal are able to kind of keep her on next season as well. Is this uh, another example of the the sort of the growing profile of the women's game as well? So we're sitting here doing not an Arsenal women arsecast, but an actual arsecast about an extremely high profile signing. And as you said earlier, the 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 sold out crowd for the Champions League semi final demonstrates the huge support that this uh, Arsenal team has, but also just how much more the women's game is is. <sighs> How do I put this properly? I, I guess becoming um, not an afterthought or or a sidebar to football clubs. You know, Arsenal, I think, have done amazing work, really, when you think about how they have integrated the way they talk about the teams and mm. show the teams on the website and all that kind of stuff. And, and high-profile transfers like this one get people excited because, well, I, we know we're in the mad season where everybody loves transfers and... and uh, it is it is another sort of not a step forward but it's it's another big talking point um when deals like this go down yeah absolutely you'll notice that all of the women's players they're unveiled at emirates stadium now that's mm. where all of the the publicity happens and there's alignment on what the kind of the graphics look like the videos look like and everything like that and arsenal are clearly positioning the emirates as being the women's stadium as well mm-hmm. um and we've all seen that work with our own eyes some of it is daubed on the outside of yeah, the stadium yeah, yeah. as well um, so, you know, things like that. But yes, the, the, this is a really interesting one because it has got a really high profile. It's also, um, it's one of the first transfers, I think, where there's a sense of rivalry, maybe, where there hasn't been in the women's game before. Like 
when Russo goes back to United next season, whenever that game happens, I'm going to bet she gets booed, um, which is not <laughs> something that happens that often. And we have had, like, Lauren James two years ago went from Manchester United to Chelsea, but that still didn't have the the same level of attention that this one has. And let's be clear, like Russo is a member of the England team. She scored a very iconic goal during the Euros with that back heel against Sweden. So she's got like a a profile uh, off the back of that. But it brings up a number of interesting questions as well, because contracts in the women's game are much shorter Mm. and transfer fees haven't really been a big thing before. Like I'm kind of glibly saying that Arsenal tried to break the world transfer record to bring her in. That was £500,000 they bid. Yeah, The world record is 450000 in the women's game. And I think that's going to change very, very soon. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that changed this summer and changes in every transfer window for the next two to three years. But it's 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 interesting because her contract has been allowed to run out that's that's really normal that's really normal because transfer fees have never really been a thing and because you know the money isn't the same it's it's a little bit like non league like in non league contracts are one to two years that's what they've been like in the women's game so what i think will start to happen off the back of this is more people are going to ask the question to manchester united about why they lost this player for free when when they had a world record bid on the table in mm. January, which they should have taken. So it's going to start to really bring that question up about, you know, player contracts and all of that. And clubs are going to want to tie these players down for longer. United offered Russo a six-year deal at one point, apparently, um, which, is, which is kind of balmy. Mm. Um, like no players, unless they're going to Chelsea, <laughs> Chelsea men sign six-year deals. But on the player side at the moment, as much as clubs now are going to want to tie these players down for longer, if you're a player at the moment and you're watching the sums go up and up and up and your earning potential, like why would you tie yourself to anything more than one to two years? Because, you know, there's a World Cup this summer and I don't think they will. But if England win that and you're an England player, all of a sudden you're worth Mm. more money. So why would you tie yourself into four years? So I think there's going to be these really interesting tensions coming about. There's already like low, there's a story I read um, this morning from Susie Rack about like bonus payments for England players at the World Cup. There's disputes over that. There was a big dispute with England and the clubs about when players get released. Again, that never used to be a conversation in the women's game because clubs didn't consider the players as valuable. Mm-hmm. Whereas now, when England say, actually, we want the players to report on 19th of June or whatever it is, Arsenal, Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United get round the table and say, no, you're not. You're not having them that early. And then there's an argument. And mm. all of this stuff is just starting to happen because... Money's just starting to come in. Players are becoming more valuable. Contracts are becoming more valuable. Again, I was talking earlier about image rights as part of this deal. Like, I believe that when Arsenal signed Beth Mead to a new contract, you know, that like basically image rights are starting to get written into contracts. Again, none of this was mm. even like 12 months ago, two years ago. None of this was really a part of the women's game. So there's 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 a lot more going on and that obviously means agents become more involved. Like Jorge Mendes has his first female client, um, a player called Kika Nazareth, uh, who plays for Benfica. So like 
Jorge <laughs> Mendes well, is... If he's in there, we know there's it, money to be made, yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly that. So there's all these interesting things which have been a part of the men's game for probably a couple of decades now. Sure. That at the elite level, at the level that Arsenal are operating, are starting to come in. Did, I mean, does it change the market? Does it change the way that clubs might think about squad building? You know, if... <sighs> deals or if offers are going to be made, does it make a club like Arsenal, let's say, more inclined to say, okay, we don't necessarily want to let this player go, but, you know, in order to maximize the revenue or, or in order to deal with the realities of this changing market, is is that something that we could see? Obviously, not just for Arsenal, but, you know, within the context of this podcast, Arsenal have a lot of high-profile players, a lot of players that, that, that fans like and love and appreciate, but within the the structure of the game itself there might be some movements perhaps that 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 we don't necessarily anticipate i think that's coming i don't think we're quite there yet i don't think the transfer fees are quite big enough okay yet for that that to happen but it's all coming it's all coming so that kind of oh my god this player's got a year left what do we do like at the moment for example if arsenal had like like i think viv medium has got one year on her contract and obviously she's rehabbing from injury at the moment but you know maybe in a couple of years they'd think mm, what what do we do here because mm. we could get like a million or two for her but like Medema's contract last year went right to the wire um it went right it, it, the the last game of the season was played and it still wasn't agreed and again that's that's actually quite normal that just happens um but I think it will happen less and less and and this is another interesting thing about the way England and the WSL is being positioned at the moment. That's a huge draw for players because it, it's it's very um, it mimics the Premier League in that there are like there are four big teams and Aston Villa are investing and mm. really pushing as well at the moment. So like you've got that kind of question as a women's player at the moment. You can go to Barcelona and you'll probably win the Champions League because they're the best team about, but. 95% of your league games will be completely uninteresting and boring. I think of like out of the last three seasons, Barca have maybe drawn one game and not lost, like, and won every other game. Like, it, it's just, <laughs> yeah. like, if you play for Barcelona, your week to week games are not interesting, essentially. Your win <clears> bonus <throat> is good, though. <laughs> it, 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 the win bonus is probably good. And yeah, you'll win the Champions League. Sure. But if you come to the WSL, the WSL is increasingly becoming a more competitive league, more eyeballs on it. It's more advanced than the other leagues in terms of TV rights and overseas TV rights. It's the most visible. So again, if you're a player looking not just for salary, because there are four or five teams who will pay you a good salary mm -hmm. as opposed to like one in France or one in Spain, or sorry, two in France, two in Germany, one one or two in Spain. Whereas in England, you can probably go to Aston Villa and get good money, but also like to raise your profile as a player. Um, the WSL is is the league with the eyeballs, and and yeah, and like Arsenal are really leading that at the moment as well, and they're making a conscious effort to lead it in terms of getting those attendances and being ambitious mm. about saying. Yeah, we can play more games at the Emirates, and and so there, there's you know there's com there's greater commercial opportunity for players, and that's still a big thing, sure, because the money's going up, but it's still not like when you're 35 and you have to retire, it's not going to be enough to live on. So those extra sponsorship deals in the men's game, they're a cherry on top. Mm. In the women's game, that's like doubling 
your kind of annual salary, essentially. So, you know, a smart commercial decision for you as a player is to come to the WSL. Um, we don't really want to talk too much about Manchester United, but... Uh, Maybe in this context. Uh, sure, okay. Yeah, well, they're they're losing a, a very important player. Um, I don't know if it's quite the same thing as sort of Manchester City coming in for Declan Rice and, you know, d- double whammy kind of thing where you take a good player to prevent the opposition having having them. You know, they did finish second. You know, how do they react to this? Um, it's not like they've got extra money, perhaps the uncertainty at, at what's going on at that club right now when it comes to the ownership situation might filter down mm-hmm. into the into the women's uh, team as well. So what are they going to do? Yeah, the, this is the really interesting kind of question. This is very much a reverse Van Persie situation. <laughs> Wait, waited, what, 11 years for this? <laughs> yeah. So, and, and this is this is, this is nice where you're able to lord it over Manchester United and just say, yeah, we'll take your best player, actually. Don't worry about it. Um, or one of your best players. I'm sure, particularly at the moment, mm. Manchester United fans would would strongly dispute her being the best player, but she's clearly one of the best players. And like for them, again, I'd say their behind-the-scenes setup is not as mature as Arsenal's in terms of women's football. It might well get there, but they had they ha- they've had lots of players like or kind of off-the-record grumblings about facilities and things like that behind the scenes. Whereas I think Arsenal again are more advanced in that they built. Um, a centre for the women's team at Colney in 2015. They're building another one now that's ex- extended and expanded. So they're behind the scenes set up. I think Arsenal as well have started to draw more resource into things because this is another interesting element of this transfer window for Arsenal. As much kind of been gassing Arsenal up for the last 25 minutes, they haven't done well on recruitment previous to this window. And Jonas Eideval has been very forward about that several times where last summer they missed several big targets. In January, they missed big targets. And Jonas has said publicly several times in very strong terms that it hasn't been good enough. Mm. And so, you know, you've got like Claire Wheatley, who's the head of women's football, who's a legendary former player. Um, Richard Garlick was kind of brought into the setup, um, I believe last year to kind of oversee uh, I, I think essentially he's like Claire Wheatley's line manager, like just that's one of the operations he oversees. Mm-hmm. But those of you who've been paying attention to the new contracts, the new signings, etc., Edu is appearing in the pictures now. Yeah. Um, and I believe Vinay, there was a kind of women's football conference uh, a week or two ago, which Vinay Venkateshan was one of the keynote speakers at. And again, that's not accidental. Um, Vinay is very much positioning himself um, as an agent for for change and progress in the women's game, and he he talked about how Edu has three whiteboards in his office: one for the academy, one for the men's, and one for the women's team. Sure. Now, I, I'm not I don't have all of the info about that behind the scenes stuff, but it looks very much like Edu's coming more and more into the picture. Well, I mean, there, the, so, the sorry, just to sort of cut cut, in, cut across when Arsenal announced Edu as the sporting director, yep. um, they said uh, the promotion season assume overarching responsibility for all our academy activities, in addition to his existing responsibilities across men's and women's football. So uh, that's sort of strategic. Um, 
organization behind the scenes that we've seen be so effective for Mikel Arteta and for the men's team when it comes to recruitment in particular, perhaps it's a little um, in its infancy when it comes to the women's team and, and with Jonas Eideval, but it, it does look as if it's going in that in that direction, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, those guys, they've got contacts books. Um, so, mm. so, you know, and that, that all helps. And I know Jonas talked last season about how he drafted in, they've got like, and this is an example of how the setup's maturing. Arsenal women have a loans manager uh, called David Murphy, and he oversees the players out on loan, just like Arsenal men have had, I think, Ben Napper That's right, in yeah. a similar role um, for, for some years now. And I think David is doing a little bit more on the recruitment side. So I think they're bolstering there to make sure they get these deals done because the ambition has been there for quite a while, like, like Debinia, who they went for in January, is one of the best players in the world and has been for the last five, six years. Like That would have been a huge signing. Mm. And I don't think they missed it due to finance, really. Like The ambition was there to bring her in. Um, but again, I, I don't know exactly what happened on all of this. So I don't want to... I have to be careful of the aggregators nowadays mm. and make it very clear when I'm kind of <laughs> speculating or reading between the lines and when I'm actually talking of, like about information. But mm. so, sorry, th- I realise I'm not talking about United here, but I'm talking about Arsenal and mm-hmm. how their setup is maturing. And another big thing here as well is, like I said earlier, Russo's idol is Kelly Smith. So when she goes to talk to Arsenal and Kelly's there, Sure. That means something. United don't really have, I think, those kind of figures at the club. They used to when they had Casey Stoney as the manager. Casey Stoney got Russo. Um, she got Tobin Heath and Kristen Press to come over on loan. And there was a really interesting interview with Casey, who's now managing in America, in San Diego. And there were some rumours, which I know were were not true um, at the top. Well, so a a club called Washington Spirit was one of the ones who were in for Russo and she's played in America before. So, Mm. but I don't think that was ever really likely, but there were some rumors going around about their interest. And uh, someone interviewed Casey Stoney after a San Diego wave game about Russo. And she laughed and said, Russo's not coming to the USA because if she was coming to the USA, I'd have met her off the plane. Yeah. 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 Basically (laughs) because Casey Stoney is that kind of, or was for United, like that kind of figure, the kind of person with a big profile in the women's game, emerging as a, as a young coach who has that kind of pull and that, that real seriousness and gravitas Mm. behind her. I don't think United quite have that. Their coach, Mark Skinner has like a good reputation in the women's game. He's married. He managed Birmingham pretty well. Uh, he ma- he managed in Orlando as well. Like he's he's a good coach, I think, but I don't think they just have that. Maybe that absolutely like this is a place of legends. This is a place sure. where you know Rachel Yankee is on the outside of the stadium. Anita Asante is on the outside of the stadium. Kelly Smith is wearing an Arsenal bench jacket. Like again, some of that intangible stuff that Arsenal have because they've accumulated it over time. I don't think United are there yet, but at the same time. United have also lost Onabache um, to Barcelona, who's a, their right back. And most United fans would tell you she is their best player or was. Mm. She's possibly the best right back in the world. She's gone for free as well this summer. Now, I think United fans are a bit more sanguine about that because it's a bit of a sesk situation. Like, sure. it's it's Barcelona and that's where she's from. And so she was probably always going to go back there. But... 
you know, the reports are they didn't really make a big offer to her until May when her contract was expiring. And, and you know, I, I, I don't know whether it's that they just don't have the resource, whether the resource is not mature enough yet. But United as a women's setup are not where Arsenal are. And that that's... Yeah, I think I think I can say that pretty factually, and that's why a player like Alessia Russo will swap United for Arsenal, even though Arsenal finished below them last season. All right, well, look, let's talk a little bit about it. I mean, it's a huge deal, obviously, and a, a really good player and an exciting prospect to think about next season. But let's talk about a couple of the other deals that have been done already this summer. Uh, you mentioned Chloe Lacasse, uh, another forward. Where does she fit into this team? Yeah, I think she's, again, if you're looking for a parallel to the men's team, uh, I'd say like a bit of a Trossard type signing. Sure. So she's 29. She's nearly 30. Um, we're going to do a podcast later in the week about um, a little bit about Lacasse, but actually it's going to be about some existing inefficiencies in the women's transfer market because Lacasse is nearly 30 and she's getting her big move to Arsenal now. But this does sometimes happen like good talent can get lost in the women's game because Canada, where she's from, don't have a professional women's league. Mm. So she kind of kicked around Iceland and then went to Portugal. And then it was what what really brought her to the attention was the Women's Champions League. So she played for Benfica in the Women's Champions League. Benfica drew Bayern Munich and Barcelona in the groups, Mm -hmm. as well as Rosengård, who are a really good Swedish team. And she scored against all of them. And this is, again, this is like a development in the women's transfer market because now there's a group stage in the Champions League, which has only been happening for two years now. A player like Chloe Lacasse has six games to go and impress. Mm. In the previous knockout format, Benfica would have drawn Barcelona. She might have scored against them once in like an 8-1 aggregate defeat. And everyone would say big deal. But because she got six games against those teams and scored and performed consistently, that brings her onto the radar. So that that's I think that's a market inefficiency. As for her position, the reason I compare it with Trossard is not just her level of experience, but she plays all across the front line. She, she's a different type of player to Trossard. She's more of a wide player. Sure. Um, she's like a goal-scoring wide attacker. I, I'd actually compare her stylistically to Beth Mead. Um, she can play off both sides. She's actually very good on both feet as well. So she's very good at cutting in and shooting on either foot. But I think she's going to be like a strong depth option. So when right. I say a depth option, I don't mean that she'll be on the bench every week. But like if Arsenal are in the Champions League final and everyone's fit, she probably doesn't start, but she'll definitely get off the bench. Sure. And yeah, she, she'll get a lot of minutes. And I, and I think someone that Jonas tried very hard to bring to the club in January as well. The other signing is uh, Amanda Elastet, who's a central defender. Clearly, that's an area of need for Arsenal, given the injury to Leo Williamson and the departure of, of Raphael. Um, what's her background? She's obviously another experienced player coming in uh, to a key position. Yeah, absolutely. So she's played for PSG and Bayern. Mm. Um, she's 30 years old. Um, so you can see all the credentials there. She also played for Jonas Eideval previously in Sweden, so he knows the player very well. And that was a bit of a slam dunk signing, really, because we've lost Rafaeli, as you said, who's um, 31. So that's a lot of experience as well to lose. Leah did her ACL in April, so she will get back next season, probably, but it's going to be late in the season. Mm. And I doubt we'll see, like... Uh, kind of prime Leah Williamson at all next season. So I think Amanda Illichstedt is more of a Leah 
replacement. Yeah. Um, because because she tends to play on the right at centre back. She can also play at right back, and Arsenal have also got a right back in Laura Wienreuter, who did her ACL in May. So again, she's might not be back next season at all. So they need a little bit of cover at right back. And this is a thirty-year-old, very experienced defender. Plays for Sweden. Sweden play very similarly to Arsenal. Um, their coach has very similar principles to Jonas Eidevall, so he likes signing mm-hmm. those Swedish players for that reason as well. So this was a real slam dunk. It's a player who's played for Jonas before, a bit of experience, a bit of cover. I don't think it's the Hafaeli replacement yet, though, because mm. that's the left side of centre-back. And that's that's a really crucial piece, and that's that's going to be difficult because in the men's game, top-quality left-footed centre-halves are hard to come by. In the women's game, they're even harder to come by. Like Hafaeli herself, we got her from China. Like we really went digging for that player and she's a bit of a unicorn anyway. Mm. Um, and I, I think it's going to be really difficult to replace that player. And I, my kind of understanding is that they are still looking for another defender. So I think Ilishtet is the Leah, mm-hmm. as it were, and that they're still looking for their Hafaeli. All right, so, I mean, what else is there to come? You mentioned Jonas Eideval talking about how important these transfer windows were. And, you know, we've had a discussion previously about injuries in the women's game and perhaps one way of of dealing with that in the short term is is the load and the burden that's placed on players. So having squad depth isn't just about, um, you know, giving you options or being able to rotate. It is maybe a way of managing some of the problems that Arsenal have had to deal with. So are there, are there plans? Obviously, there's a World Cup coming up very shortly as well. Mm-hmm. So all eyes will be on that. And I don't know, you know, you can tell me if... if um, that presents difficulties for clubs uh, doing business. I assume with many players over there, it's going to be like it is in in the men's World Cup, where you know these mm-hmm. uh, these players are sort of uncontactable, but obviously focused on something else. Yeah, definitely. So let's take the first part of that: the injury management. As it turned out, Jonas, I asked him the question after transfer deadline day last summer. Uh, did you, you know? I knew the answer was no. It was one of those pointed <laughs> questions. I was like, did you get everything you wanted in this transfer window? And at that point, he was a bit more diplomatic. And he said, I think we're one short. Um, I, I, I know he felt it was more than one. But at that point, he was willing to be a bit more diplomatic. When it happened again in January, mm-hmm. he was a bit more forward in his comments. So he he already felt going into the season last year that the squad wasn't big enough anyway. And obviously, I don't think it's. I don't think it explains all of the injuries, but surely it explains some of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that that load management was an issue. I look at the way Beth Mead did her ACL, very similar to Robert Perez. You know, hurdling a tackle on the touchline. It was stoppage time. She'd played nearly every minute of every game. It was a very tired jump over a player, and her leg went like. I I, I don't know because I'm not a medical expert, but I look at Beth's ACL injury. And to me, that looked like a loading issue, probably. Mm. Um, and so, like, I know Jonas already felt that. But, yeah, definitely in terms of injury management. But the other thing, Arsenal played Chelsea at the end of last season and they lost. And um, and at that point, the, the squad was just completely dead uh, out on its feet. And um, both Arsenal and Chelsea had played in midweek. And Jonas was asked the question because Chelsea 
when they played on the Wednesday night, they made seven changes mm-hmm. when they when they came to play Arsenal. Arsenal made one, and it was because one of their players got injured on the on the Wednesday evening. And Jonas said, "Like, look, that's the competition. Like, Chelsea of what I, I hate saying this as much as it's been enjoyable to lord it over Manchester United. Chelsea have won the league four years in a row, mm-hmm. and they've got a massive squad. That's the standard. And if Arsenal are serious about challenging." They have to meet that standard and have a squad of that size so they can make five and six changes when they go and play Chelsea. They can make five and six changes when they play Champions League games because we're still really only learning about the impact of that increased load in terms of the Champions League having a group stage now. And that's definitely, definitely an, an avenue, making the squad bigger. And I think a lot of players are going to have to accept. And I'm, I'm not saying they don't accept this, but mm. they're going to have to accept that, like, look, you're not playing every minute of every game unless you want an ACL operation as well. Yeah. Es- essentially, I think that's kind of... I've put that quite bluntly. <laughs> I'm sure that won't be our conversation. I know what you mean, though. I know what you mean. It is It is about, um, you know, would you rather play less and enjoy a full season at the end where the denouement is, you know, your, your title winners, you don't want to be there in a protective boot or, or on crutches or whatever, you know, and I... Exactly. I, yeah, so... It's, it's not even just the ACLs either. Like, Caitlin Ford, we had to flog her last season because of the injuries, and then she pulls her hamstring in April and that game against Wolfsburg in front of 60,000, she misses it because she, like, she yep. didn't do her ACL, thankfully, but she pulled her hamstring. And so she missed that game. Arsenal missed her badly. She missed out on that occasion. If we'd been able to rotate her just once or twice during sure. the spring, that injury probably doesn't happen. So like Arsenal need numbers to manage the injuries, but also because... That's just what the competition demands. And sorry, there was a second yeah. part to your question that I forgot. Well, it was just really about the availability of, of players at the World Cup and ah, yes, you know yes. getting getting deals yeah. done during a tournament, which is fairly self-evident, I guess. Yeah, I, I can answer that. So yeah. um, really what you're seeing now with Ilistet, Lacasse and Russo, that's like, that's a bit part one of the transfer window. That's the pre-World Cup bit. Those mm-hmm. are three big targets two of whom in Lacasse and Russo were done because we tried to buy them in January. A lot of the groundwork had already been done. Illustrate was a slam dunk. That's part one. Again, it's a bit like the men, like Havertz, hopefully Rice, um, and um, and uh, who else? Um, Timber. Sorry, yeah. like that's part one. And now you know there's sure. a kind of a partition off. with pre-season, some sales, and then part two. I think it's very similar with the women. You're, you're right. The World Cup is going to make it I think is going to slow things down and then you'll get a flurry in August again when teams start to go out. Yeah. So so I do think it will necessarily quieten things down. What I can say is that Jonas Eideval will be in Australia uh, for the World Cup. I know a member of um, the coaching staff, I, feel, I think Aaron Dantino, one of the assistants is going to be with him. Jonas, I imagine, will do some punditry work um, anyway, uh, whether that's with Swedish TV or English. Um, but I don't think members of Arsenal's coaching staff are going out there to do punditry. Sure. I think there's a mixture. And look, that almost certainly means a mixture of scouting and maybe having some lunch with some people. Some opportunity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we yeah. look forward so, to you know, seeing Jonas on the beat, lying on the beach exactly. like Arsene Wenger. <laughs> 
Exactly. Yeah. You might. Yeah. A picture of Jonas on the beach might emerge, and then yeah. three days later, we we have a player. But yeah. So, and I know that Arsenal will be scouting at that tournament as well. So that will be like sure. part two of the window. And I know they've they've got some offers in for some players at the moment, but that we're never going to get done. I think before the World Cup, there's one or two as well who are, who I think play for countries who are probably going to go out in the group stages. Um, so those players can afford to think about things a bit more because mm. realistically they're going to be home in the first week of August. Whereas like someone like Alessia Russo, for example, she will be hoping that she's not home till late August. So exactly, yeah. there's, there's some of that going on. Uh, you've already done a piece on the website uh, on Arsblog News, uh, Arsenal Women at the World Cup. Just very finally and quickly, um, I know that the uh, the audience is growing for Arsenal women in part due to you know the the tremendous coverage that you do and bring to people uh, freely uh, over on Arsenal News with our dedicated section to to the women's team. But you know what else is coming up over the summer? What can people look forward to in terms of what you're going to do, but also what the Arsenal women are involved in? Yeah, sure. So, um, I mean, <laughs> their season's going to start very soon after the World Cup. And this is another reason big injuries happen. So they had their Champions League draw um, because they finished third in the WSL. They go into like a first preliminary round and they've drawn uh, Ling Chirping, a Swedish team, uh, quite helpfully. And that's going to be played in Sweden, which for Arsenal is basically a home game. Um, to be frank. So uh, fortunately, Mia Eriksson, who's been on our podcast several times to give us insight into the Swedish players, and she wrote a profile piece for us on Amanda Illestet. Um, She actually works for Ling Chirping as a photographer, so um, we'll we'll probably get a good insight into them. Um, Obviously, there's the World Cup coming up in Australia and New Zealand. If you're in a European time zone, a lot of those games are favourable in terms of they're not all in the middle of the night. If you mm. work a nine to five, you might have to have a double screen operation going on, <laughs> but a lot of them kind of mid to late morning. Obviously, we'll be across all of the signings that happen. Uh, we'll hopefully be across all of the deals uh, before they happen. Um, we have broken all three of these transfers exclusively. And the reason we're able to do that is because you pay me to do it. <laughs> um, and, and that's, you know, that's, that's what we do with Patreon money, uh, for example. So, you know, we're able to compete with um, some some pretty big hitters when it comes to breaking these transfers. So obviously I'll try my best to stay across all of that. I make no promises that I'll get everything, but, you know, uh, we're on 100% so far. So I'll be aiming to keep on top of that. Um, and, and yeah, and obviously as and when new players come, we'll do profiles, whether they're written or audio. Mm. And we've got another podcast coming out uh, later this week, which I'm really excited about with a guy who's a data analyst and a scout who's worked for several clubs. Um, and we're going to anchor it around the Chloe Lacasse signing, but just discussing some of those inefficiencies in the women's transfer market and maybe where the places are to look for players. Uh, this individual actually did some scouting on Chloe Lacasse as well. So he's got a very good insight into the player. So, yeah, we'll, it, if I don't know, like I don't really know that much about Chloe Lacasse, we'll find people who do. All right. Well, look, it's uh, it's amazing coverage. Thank you for uh, for sharing all this with us. Um, a new season is around the corner for Arsenal women, and you will find everything you need in our dedicated section over on Arsblog News. For now, we'll leave it there, Tim. Thanks a million, as always. My pleasure.
Thank you very much indeed to Tim. You can find him on Twitter. He is at Stillmanator, at Stillmanator. And as I've mentioned, there is a dedicated section to the Arsenal women over on Arsblog News that Tim does an amazing job with. You will not find more in-depth, comprehensive coverage of the Arsenal women, players, teams, matches, videos, the whole lot. You can check it out at arsblog.news. And as Tim mentioned, if you did feel like signing up for our Patreon, you get access to all the stuff that we do on there. But it allows us to invest more in coverage of the women's team, the youth teams, and all that sort of stuff. If you do want to sign up, it's patreon.com forward slash arsblog, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Lots of exclusive podcasts, especially during the season. We do preview podcasts for all of our games in Premier League, and we'll do them for the Champions League, of course, next season. There's the 30, in which we recap the weekend's Premier League action, and lots more besides. But if you do sign up, your contribution helps us expand our coverage of the club in general as well which is available to everybody so if you did feel like it thank you very much indeed anyway hope you've enjoyed this particular episode we've got more to come this week fingers crossed so please stick around and join us for that in the meantime take it easy folks and we will catch you on the next one cheers bye bye Today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.